0: go to patreon.com forward slash blackgirlnerds. With Patreon, you, the fan, can support us, the content creator. Right now, we have a goal of $2,000 that we are trying to raise for San Diego Comic-Con. San Diego Comic-Con is one of the biggest conventions in the United States. People from all over the world travel to go to this convention. This is our first year coming along as press, and we want to make sure we give you the best experience possible. With that does come your support. Right now, we need assistance with traveling expenses because all of us are on the East Coast and need to fly out to San Diego, as well as lodging expenses to stay at a local Airbnb while we're there. We also plan to give you great videos some audio interviews and give you an opportunity to experience the con as if you're there. So again, we just ask for your support. Go to patreon.com forward slash blackgirlnerds. That's where you can show your support. This is Steve Harper, creator of Send Me, an original web series, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
1: Hi, this is Kelly Sue DeConnick, and you are listening to
2: the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
3: Hi, this is Maya G from Rain, a fan film about Storm, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
4: Hey guys, this is Allison. I played Storm and X-Men Apocalypse
0: out May 27th, and you are listening to Black Girl
2: Nerds. This is Simone Missick, and I am Misty Knight, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast.
4: for
0: Black Girl Nerds. Ha! Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to episode 75 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host, This episode is titled, Will Packer, Peaky Blinders, and All Things Wrestling. Three segments. Our first segment, we invite guest Will Packer. He is a producer and creator of such films as Straight Outta Compton, Ride Along, and currently the reimagined new miniseries called Roots that's scheduled to air this Memorial Day on three separate networks. He chats with us about the series, also his work as a producer, and why this story and this retelling of a historical miniseries that debuted back in the 70s is just as important as it was then as it is today. That segment is co-hosted by Karan, Kristen, and Joelle. Our second segment includes actor, writer, producer, Sam Benjamin. Sam Benjamin, you may know him best from the Netflix BBC series called Peaky Blinders. He talks about his role on that show. Also, his role as a writer and producer creating short films. That interview is a one-on-one featuring Karan. Our third segment is all things wrestling. Now, this was an interesting one. We usually send out feedback and ask you guys, what new topics should we talk about on the Black Girl Nerds podcast? One was emailed to me asking, hey, have you guys ever thought about talking about wrestling? I got together with Kristen and Anique, who has done editorials on blackgirlnerds.com about wrestling. And we talk about everything from our favorite wrestlers of all time, some of the wrestlers that are currently making a really great name for themselves in the sport. And then we talk about wrestlers that have now passed on and we just remember some of the great things that made them so profound in the sport. So thank you again for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Once again, I think it's going to be a really great discussion. You'll get a lot out of it. Be sure to check out Roots. That's going to be premiering this week. And feel free to give us comments on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and give us a ratings on iTunes if you like what you are hearing. And we are always welcome to feedback about what you want to see and hear on this show. So if there is a topic that we haven't touched upon that you want to hear us talk about, let us know. You can always email me jamie at blackgirlnerds.com and I'm more than happy to address your concerns and also answer your questions about the podcast. For now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Will Packer is a film producer, founder of Will Packer Productions. He was listed among the most powerful players under 40 in Black Enterprise magazine. Will Packer is known for such films as Ride Along, Think Like a Man, About Last Night, Straight Outta Compton, and currently he is now the executive producer of the miniseries Roots, scheduled to premiere this Memorial Day. Roots will be a four-night miniseries, starting on Monday with Night One. The Roots series stars actors such as Malachi Kirby, reggae Jean Page, Erica Tazzle, Lawrence Fishburne, Forrest Whitaker, T.I., Anna Paquin, Anika Noni Rose, Makai Pfeiffer, James Purefoy, and so many more. So take a listen to this incredibly in depth interview about Roots and why this series is so important to check out. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Very, very excited and thrilled for this segment because, as you guys know, there's been a lot of buzz on social media. You've seen ads plastered everywhere. The new miniseries, the Reimagines miniseries called Roots, is premiering on Memorial Day. And we have the executive producer of that series here to talk to, Mr. Will Packer himself. Thank you, Will, for coming on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
2: What up, what up? I'm honored to be here. What's happening, y'all?
0: Hey. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. And we have our co-hosts, Joelle, Kristen, and Karan. Thank you, ladies, for coming on. Thank Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, yeah. Excellent. So, so Will, I'm so excited for this new series, Roots, which is scheduled to premiere on Memorial Day. And can you tell us a little bit about what led you to the project? And why do you think Alex Haley's story is something worth telling today?
2: You know what? Um, it's interesting because I got a call uh, from the head of A&E Studios. And he There was secrecy around the project when I first got the call. So there was this opportunity, this project, this new uh, venture that they wanted to talk to me about. And, you know, I'm I'm in the business. I've been producing for a little while, so I will get these calls periodically. But I didn't know exactly what it was. And they didn't want to tell, like, you know, any of my team or any of my reps in advance. They wanted to get me on the phone to talk to me about this project. So they were trying to keep it under wraps. I get on the phone and um, this guy's named Barry Johnson who is president of A&E and he tells me that they are undertaking a remake of Roots. And my first reaction uh, was very similar to a lot of the people's reactions that hear about it now as consumers. I was like, hell no, like <laughs> for, for what? Roots is just fine, yep. leave it where it is. <laughs> Like ain't nobody need to mess with Roots and Roots ain't bothering you. Don't bother (laughs) Roots. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm a movie producer. Like I have done remakes before, have done versions of things before, but this felt like, you know, this could only go wrong. This can only be a bad idea was my initial thought. And it was only after talking with, uh, with Barry for a while and talking to other people in my camp and then thinking about my own daughters. And I, am here right now and I have, um, two of my daughters, my, my black girl nerds. I have Maya and Naja next to me. Say hey to the ladies guys. Hello. Hi. And Hi. You know what? it was the fact that I realized that they, for them, I knew they hadn't seen the original, I knew there was no way I would be able to get them to sit down and watch eight hours of a 40 year old piece of content, no matter what it is. And I knew it was important. And so I kinda had to do an introspection and say, you know what, why do I feel like I don't wanna do this again? And I realized I felt like, you know what, there's a fatigue, like I don't I don't wanna see another slavery story. Then I thought about, you know what, how many, how many, quote unquote slavery stories have there really been mm-hmm. as compared to content around the Holocaust or World War II or the Civil War or other elements of American history. Now, this is obviously very, very different. Um, and, you know, we can get into how it's different and how this affects us certainly as, as African-Americans and the way we feel and the way that we um, receive content like this. There's a different, obviously, level of connection and pain associated with it. But I realized that there hadn't been this whole plethora of of an overabundance and saturation of content around that subject matter. So I thought, you know what? I do. I've done Ride Along. I've done Straight out of Compton. I've done Takers. I've done these movies that my kids and youth generations have seen and watched over and over again. How would How could I not take advantage of an opportunity to be a part of something that actually is is very important, not entertainment just for entertainment's sake, but actually would have a chance to tell this story to a completely new generation of youth audiences that I make content for anyway that really do not know this story the way that they think they do?
0: Awesome. Wow. That's amazing. I've seen night one of the series already over at the Tribeca Film Festival, and the show is super intense. And Malachi Kirby, who just steals the show, gives one of the most stunning performances I've seen in a very long time. Were you involved at all in the casting for the series? And were there any performances that resonate with you the most?
2: I was, and you know what? You can, you can start and end with Malachi Kirby. And for those listening, he is, uh, Kunta Kinte. Uh, obviously that is the role that was, um, made famous by LeVar Burton and LeVar is on the producer team this time. And, and, you know, it was an honor to have him on board and to, um, lend not only his expertise, um, but also to give his blessing to this new version one of the things that was most important was going to be the casting. We knew that we needed to make it relevant if we were going to make this, especially with an eye towards the youth generation. We needed, um, you know, people that uh, were of note and people that had names that they would recognize, but we certainly didn't want to do, like, you know, an all-famous uh, people, all-rapper, all-reality star. Like, <laughs> we, you know, we, we had to make a, a, a quality, you know, high-end, um, cinematic experience. So we wanted the best actors out there, but we wanted to mix in some familiar faces. We always knew we wanted to go unknown with Kunta. And he is a young UK actor, young in his 20s, um, London actor. And he actually was one of the first people that came in. And um, he, you know, we saw him first uh, on video. He sent in an audition and he was really, really good, but it was so early in the process that we said, okay, It can't be him. Like we couldn't have found our content (laughs) within the first month of searching. And so we went out and we did this global, not nationwide, global search. We literally looked everywhere from Africa to Europe to South America and, of course, here in the States. And we saw thousands upon thousands of people who came in to audition. And wouldn't you know that ultimately we ended up back with somebody who had such a magnetism, such a, a gravitas, such a charisma, such power in his performance, who was there at the very, very beginning. And, and I'm sure you know some of you all can relate. Sometimes what you're looking for is right there in front of you all along, but you can't really accept it until you've done an exhaustive search to recognize, you know what, I had what I was looking for at the beginning. And that's actually what happened in this casting process. Wow.
5: That's amazing. Um, I want to talk a
0: little bit about the script. Uh, did you guys decide to use the uh, original kind of just as it was, or did you do any twists? Was there a lot of rewrites involved in making the script?
2: You know what? This is actually a new script. I'm glad you asked that because um, the, it, it is certainly uh, based on the original, but it's really just a foundation one of the things, not only was I hesitant about being involved, but there were a lot of actors, writers, and directors who were very hesitant about taking this on. One of the um, mandates very early on was that anybody that was going to be involved with writing the project uh, had to be willing to expand it beyond just uh, a straight remake of the original. We wanted to make sure, because we have resources and information uh, now that they did not have back in 1977 when the original was released. We wanted to make sure that we included that. We wanted to add more historical accuracy and authenticity to this version. So there are uh, characters that were in the first that aren't in this one. There are characters that are in this one that weren't even, we didn't even know existed, uh, around the first. There's, it's a much more historically accurate version and audiences are much more savvy today. This truly is a 2016 version, um, you know, of, of a historical piece of, of fiction, but based on fact. And so, for us, it was very, very important from the script standpoint not to just say, well, it wasn't the original or the original did this, so we have to be limited to that. We didn't want to be limited at all. We wanted to make sure, and we had some of the top historians um, in the country involved with helping to make sure that we shaped the story correctly, to tell the journey, not just um, beginning with slavery uh, on American soil, but starting the journey um, from Kuta Kinte as a young warrior coming into manhood um, in Jufre in Africa, the village of Jufre.
0: That's awesome. Um, I can't let you get out of here without talking about being Mary Jane. Uh, you were just named new, <laughs> new producer on here. I don't know if there's anything that you could share with us, anything that you're kind of excited about with this new season coming up that you could talk about.
2: I am so so very excited about about BMJ. I uh, first of all, I'm a fan of the show. I love that show. I love the platform and the rich characters that Mara Brock Akil created. And when the opportunity arose for me to be a part of it, Gabrielle Union, she approached me herself. She's somebody that I'm very very close with. We've done multiple projects, and you know, she's like family to me. And when she approached me with the opportunity to become involved with the show, um, because Mar was moving on to do some other things, I thought, wow. I thought two things. One, how cool is this going to be? And two, I better not mess this up. So <laughs> the first thing I went out and did was go and get the best writer that I could. And we found an amazing writer that, if you're familiar with that show, The Good Wife. She- yeah. Yeah, she is uh, a, a part of the writing team that constructed that show, which I, I am a fan of. I think it's an incredibly well written show. And so, and her name is uh, Erica, Erica Shelton Kodish. And Erica is going to bring her expertise. So, um, what I will say is that it's going to be um the mary jane that you've you've grown to know that you've grown to love uh but there's going to be a lot of newness and freshness around it so definitely switching some things up uh it's it's still your girl i will tell you that
5: a
3: messy girl
2: (laughs) (laughs) messy girl messier than ever (laughs)
3: Um, I just wanna pop in here with a quick I'm I always focus on music, so this is a completely selfish question on my part. How were you able to recruit Quest Love to get involved with um the the Roots reboot?
2: You know, I, I saw Quest at um at a party actually in New York around um the what they call the upfronts, the television upfronts where all the TV's networks premiere their new shows.
5: Mm-hmm. And
2: he was there and we were talking, we had been talking about him because in, in you being a music lover, you'll appreciate this. We wanted to make sure that throughout Roots, we had authentic African drum rhythms. We had this idea of having a consistent African drum rhythm, that plays through all the nights but takes on different forms depending on the time period when you hear the song so we wanted something that could start in africa but then you hear an iteration of it that plays throughout the story of roots all the way up through the civil war in america and we thought who is great who is somebody that totally understands music a great producer, and that really gets percussive elements. And literally, it was one of those moments where everybody looked at each other and said, "Quest love, Quest, Quest." quest love. <laughs> and a week later, I happened to be at a party and he was there. And it was one of those crazy like party stories where I see him and he didn't know who I was. And we're at a party and I'm 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 yelling, "Quest, Will Packer, you know, producer." Go, oh yeah, I heard of you. I said, "Hey man, Roots." I'm doing the Roots. I want you to be involved. He was like, yeah, Roots. I don't know if we're doing a new album. You know, (laughs) crazy party conversation. At the end of it, I just got his info and he got mine and we agreed to talk later. So I don't know if at that moment he really understood what I was asking him. (laughs) There was this producer who wanted to talk to him about a project. And later I got a chance to talk to him one-on-one and talk to him about it. And uh, it just – it was great having him on board. I mean, the team, I'm, I'm really, really uh, honored to be a part. I'm a small part of an amazing team. And, and the, from the directors to the actors, the other producers and writers, um, to Quest, who was so important with helping to oversee the music, it really was a, a collaborative effort from day one.
3: Will there be a soundtrack?
2: There, There is. It's not a um, – I don't know about plans to release the soundtrack, like in a commercial sense, because most of the music that you hear is um, is score um, within the film. So I'm sure that there will be available um, score and, and quested an original song that you'll you'll hear over the end credits of each night. Um, so you know there's music, but it's not like you know a a movie where there's like you know the Mary J. song or the songs inspired by at least not yet. Um, oh no!
3: And personally, I would be just fine with that score that Quest is working on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <Yeah.
2: laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Score and the and the composition. I mean, Quest and the composition team. Um, I'm sure that we can we can get that, especially after the the series comes out. Especially if it's successful and there's interest in it. Um, I'm not aware right now of a release date for that soundtrack, but um, the music throughout the piece, especially the score. Is really really strong, so I'm sure it will be available. If not, call me; I'll hook you up.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know I know Ti is in the uh, series. Is is he lending any of his skills to the soundtrack?
2: He is, but not as an artist, just as an actor. No, he's not. He's not doing music. He is. Um, he's coming in, and he he's in night four, and he plays a um a, a rebel, of course, a rebellious member um, of the, the union army during the civil war. Um, so he, uh, I think he's going to surprise people. He, he is somebody that, you know, he's a friend of mine. Um, I am, I'm in the ATL and he is as well. And he and I have worked together before and he's always, um, wanting to be challenged and do stuff different, um, than, than, you know, what he's been able to do. And he and I talk a lot about how a lot of Hollywood, uh, Producers will approach him, and they want him to basically do the same thing over and over again, and some some version of Ti that we know. And um, he's always telling me, "Will, I want to be challenged. I want to do something different." And I said, "Well, I got something different for you, brother.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> How different you willing to go? Because I got." Something. And uh, you know, to his credit, he he jumped in and took it very seriously. So um I can't wait. He's in night four. The the Series premieres Monday, and it airs back-to-back nights Monday through Thursday. So, um, and each night has a different director, um, a largely different cast for each night, because each night is told through the prism of a different character, a different member of the family as we watch the generations pass in the series.
3: Um, Quick question for those of us who do not have cable. um, Will this be streaming online as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you asked because there are a lot of a lot of folks now that don't have cable. Well, first for my for my people who are still tied to the cord, um, <laughs> it's going to be on History A and E and Lifetime. Um, it will then be available for streaming, and uh, I know they're still working out the 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 deals on that. I know Netflix was very very interested in being a part of it, as was Amazon and Hulu. So uh, initially, it's going to be available um on the networks but i am sure based on what i have heard and i don't have all the latest details that it will be available for um so many of you that are cutting the cord that now get your stuff the way that a lot of us do um online and via streaming we're going to make sure that the widest audience possible can see this because at the end of the day you know we didn't make this for you know the money we didn't make it for the awards we really made it so that people could see it. And especially, you know, a younger generation like my two girls sitting with me now who who haven't seen this story could see it. So we're gonna get it out there as wide as possible. So those details are covered.
5: Well, this is Karan. Um, As the director, what have you learned through the process of reimagining this, a work of this magnitude?
2: You know, well, first I'm I'm a producer. So we had um, four directors, a different director for each night. You know what I've learned, Karan, is that it's challenging. Um, mm-hmm. It's People are not as receptive as you would hope they would be. And the interesting thing is that the people that um, are the least receptive to this type of content are black people. Mm. And it's not... It's. I wouldn't say it's surprising. I totally understand it. Um, but it is challenging because you do have... Um, you know, there are a lot of liberal white people that say, you know, yes, we need to we need to see this. We, we need to, you know, acknowledge, you know, what happened. And this is an important piece of history. And of course, you will have, you know, some of your folks, um, white and black, that say, look, it happened. It's over. Let's get beyond it. Let's move past it. But the reality is that we don't need to let America or ourselves off the hook. You know, we got to be real about what happened and the fact that we, as a society, black, white, and in between are still impacted by the effects of slavery. We Mm -hmm. we shot this. We didn't have to create one plantation. They are still standing.
5: Yes, they are. Right
2: in Louisiana. These buildings are still right there. This isn't something that is ancient history and so long ago. We didn't have to recreate that. Those plantations are there, that's how recent it is. And when you think all the way to the systemic oppression that we still suffer, when you think about the events that have led to movements like Black Lives Matter very, very recently, it's irresponsible to think that it is not because of the destruction of the Black family, um, the inability to uh, gain economic equality, for the African-American community based on how we started, how we were brought to this country and the fact that we are just a few generations removed Mm -hmm. from this type of oppression and from the atrocities that happened. If you can't really squarely look honestly and truthfully at your history, you cannot move forward. And Mm -hmm. that is the truth. And so I say to people that say, enough, we've heard it. I disagree. We have not heard enough. We can't tell this story enough. Don't let people off the hook. Don't buy into this post-racialism. Well, we got Barack Obama. It's over. We're good. You know, we don't need to address this stuff. That is absolutely 110% not true. And what I think makes um, members of the Jewish American community so strong is that they have a mentality of we will never forget.
5: Mm
2: -hmm. We We will look back and we will be honest about it. We will never forget and it will never happen again. And so many members of the black community have uh, the perspective that we don't want to uh, address the fact that this happened. We've seen it. And I don't want to I don't want to look at it. and I don't want America to look at it. and I don't want this to be a part of, of the content. You know, And we shouldn't just have this. We should have all types of content. And I understand that it is very, very painful. But understand, this is not a victim story. This is not a story just about oppression. This is not a story just about, you know, um, the horrors of slavery. This is a story about survival. And the thing that I, the thing that I say to my young daughters is that I want you to know that you are descended from amazing, courageous, heroic survivors that survived living in Africa, being sold into slavery by other African tribes that survived the transatlantic Middle Passage that survived being on American soil, sold into slavery, that survived that, that survived segregation, that survived Reconstruction, that survived the Civil Rights Movement, that are here today still in the struggle, but that you are surviving. And when you think about everything that our ancestors went through, it will give you a different perspective on how you can overcome the challenges you face today. And I truly believe that.
5: Roots was such an iconic cultural life altering and historic work in literature and in film, but very little was spoken about the women of Roots. You have your daughters with you today and what do you hope that they'll take away from watching and learning from the amazing women that you have in this cast and the stories of the women in in this rebirth of Roots?
2: I'm, I'm so glad you asked that because uh, I can't wait, and I'd actually love to come back after um, you guys have a chance to see all four nights and talk about this very issue because we took a lot of time and care and paid a lot of attention to the characters, the portrayals, and the imagery of Black women in mm-hmm. this series. Um, in the original roots, uh, it was... Uh, that you had Black female characters, but they the portrayal of them was very different uh, than the portrayal that you will watch uh, in the new version. As we all know, I don't have to tell anybody on this podcast and hopefully nobody listening, the absolute heart, backbone, uh, brain and spirit of the Black community lies within the Black woman. Mm-hmm. And the Black female Characters are so strong this time around, and it is because we paid special attention. So, you know, if you're familiar with the series, you know about you know, Kizzy and maybe you know Bell, but mm-hmm. there are other characters that you will see and the actors, Anika Noni Rose, Tony Award winners, Ibn yes. who you will see. I mean, they are I want I want to talk back about it because it's one thing for me to say the performances and the characters are strong, but after you see them, we can talk about the portrayal of black women during that time. We are very true to the role that they played because remember so much of the challenge that we faced was about the destruction of the black family. Well, it was, you know, the, the, the crux, the burden of the black woman to try against all odds to do everything that they could to hold their families together. Yes, We, we, we look at that. We look at that in an unflinching and realistic way. And, uh, and I'm very, I'm very proud of what we were able to do in terms of portrayal of, of black women, because even today, we still, as a community, we, will live and die and only go as far as our sisters take us.
0: Mm. Wow. I could listen to you talk all Ooh. day well. <laughs> okay.
2: I I'm enjoying this. I, I have done a lot of um a lot of interviews around it but I, I don't i this feels so much more like a conversation and, and you know, I I love the theme of your podcast and, and, and your website and your platform. And so it's a, it's a little bit different. I, I'm, I'm able to be a little more um, expansive in my answers with this kind of a format than just, you know, um, you know, some of the canned answers. And especially because this feels like a, almost like a family dialogue, I can be a lot mm-hmm. more, um, a lot more blunt. And so I'm, I'm enjoying this dialogue as well. I'm glad that that uh, Jamie, you reached out to me online because that's how this connection was made on Twitter um, so that I could could go and, and do this.
0: Thank you so, so much. We appreciate you coming on the show and you are more than welcome to come back after we finish watching the Roots miniseries. Can you again let us know for our listeners where we can watch Roots when it's coming on and then also um, let us know where we can find you on social media?
2: Absolutely. So Roots airs monday night night one may 30th memorial day I, nothing wrong with getting your cookout on having a good time <laughs> night, you do whatever you do but then that night i'm asking you to sit down with the ones you love find family find people that you know find somebody that doesn't want to watch it, find somebody that didn't see the original or find somebody that did And this, if nothing else, will stir dialogue and perform a provide a a basis to spark conversation and dialogue around this is always good. Night one airs Monday, and then nights two through four on consecutive nights right after. It airs on the History Channel. It airs on Lifetime. It airs on A&E. So unless you don't have cable, you got no excuses. You can find it on three different channels. Um, and I am out there. I try to be as, as engaging as I can be on social media. I'm at willpowerpacker on just about all my platforms. I, I snap, I tweet, I gram, I Facebook, but not as much. Um, but I am out there. So Will Power Packer. girls. Did I forget anything? Maya? Nope.
3: Nigel covered it all.
2: Did I? Any any thoughts? What did you guys think when you heard that Daddy was, uh, was remaking Roots? I was, like, super proud of you
0: because you were taking on something totally different from the rest of your um, catalog and the rest of your other movies. And I just thought it was, like, great and challenging. And I thought it was, like, really amazing that you're bringing it to our generation, modernizing it, and putting it in, you know, the current day conversation. I
2: just thought it was great. That's awesome. What about you, man.
3: Well, I had only heard about Roots when, like, Mommy or you, like, I've heard people, like, talk, mention it before, but I never really, like, knew what it was. And then when you said you were remaking Roots,
2: I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> what are you digging
2: that? I'm excited to see it, and... I think that I know a lot of people that this would benefit to see people my age. And, yeah, like just said, people of this generation
0: just need to see this.
2: All right. Well, there, there you go. From ladies. the
0: mouths of babes. Right. That's right.
2: That's as go. real as it gets right there. I got nothing else. The real power packers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much, Will, for coming on.
2: This was awesome. Thanks. And uh and let's do it again. I appreciate you giving me this time.
0: Sam Benjamin is known for roles in BBC Netflix series Peaky Blinders, alongside Cillian Murphy and John Bishop. His sophomore screenwriting venture, Double Cross, also starring Kyla Fry, made official selections at the British Urban Film Festival, Melanin Box Festival, and Soul Connect BFI Festival. Sam's first movie role was alongside Heroes star Jimmy Jean Lewis in the film Precipice, which he landed the week that he graduated from the drama studio London, the prestigious acting school whose alumni include Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker and Academy Award nominee Emily Watson. Hey guys,
5: it's your girl Karan and welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Today we have Sam Benjamin, known for his dramatic roles, but this actor, writer, and producer is much more than meets the eye. He appears in series three of BBC Netflix's Peaky Blinders, the upcoming superhero series, The Few, and his award-winning short film, Double Crossed. Sam, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds podcast.
1: Thanks, Karen. How's it going?
5: It's going well. It's going well. So I learned that you actually spent some time in the States with Mickey Mouse and his crew. How long, <laughs> How long
1: were you
5: here and what was that experience like for you?
1: I was there in 06 for about four months. And it was, yeah, I worked as an entertainer at the Disney's Animal Kingdom on the Kilimanjaro Safari ride. And um, to be quite, I say this to everyone is whenever people ask me about it, is it was one of the happiest times of my life. It's the happiest
5: Uh, place on earth.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like Disney are paying me to say this, but honestly, it was a real eye opener for me as well. I obviously live in with a lot of people from Obviously, majority of people there were American, but also people from other countries that I'd never met before, and it really, really kind of opened up my eyes to other attitudes and approaches to life. Particularly highlighting the the kind of obviously there's a lot of similarities culturally between the UK and the US, um, but at the same time there is a kind of there's a certain kind of optimism, can-do attitude about you know people from the US that kind of really hit me as as a British person who tend to be a little bit more reserved, a little bit more cynical, a little bit more kind of downbeat at times, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, So, yeah, it really kind of, yeah, it kind of opened up my eyes and I made a lot of friends. I'm still in touch with a lot of people there. and uh, You know, I'm hoping to hook up with them as well when I go. I'm going over to, well, I'm coming over to L.A. in November. So I'm hoping to catch up with a few people uh, when I go over. Yeah. Was that
5: your only time in the States? Was that your first time here?
1: No I actually I've, I think I went three times before that or was it twice no tw- yeah I think it was twice before that I've been to I've, I've got some family in Canada so I was I've been to I spent a bit of time in Edmonton Alberta mm-hmm. and then I've been on actually two with my family when I was younger we did actually go to Florida um, a couple of times so yeah so I've been three times to the states.
5: You are definitely a triple threat, even studying Shakespeare under one of the greatest actors of our time, Mr. Patrick Stewart. Is there one discipline you love more than the others?
1: I think in today's kind of entertainment industry, it's kind of it's a necessity to have different strings to your bow, Um, you know, much like yourself, you know, whether it be doing podcasts or radio or, you know, articles or blogs or all these kind of different things. That we do but having said that my kind of main entry into this industry was acting and that's that was kind of that's what sparked it all off and if you were to say right we've got to take away everything apart from one then it would be acting
5: do you think being a writer and making your film double cross do you think that made you a better actor or a more critical one of your work
1: a bit of both i suppose yeah it definitely makes you it gives you an appreciation and a respect for every other discipline of every person that's on set so when you're on when you're on another set and you're you're just an actor it kind of gives you a real perspective on how the writer's feeling how the director's feeling how the producer's feeling how the, the lighting guy's feeling you know all those kind of things and it definitely kind of gives you a clue as to what your role is as an actor um i think sometimes if if you're as an actor you can get kind of caught up in your own mind and your own character and your own kind of desires. And that can often lead you to think that some things are more important than others. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think it's just everything, you know, the writing and the acting and the producing all inform each other.
5: That's very important. I, I love the fact that you said they inform each other. One doesn't carry more weight than the other. But it's really interesting to hear you use it in those terms. Now, you are starring in the upcoming series three of Peaky Blinders. What was that like yeah. for
1: you? Yeah, it actually, in the UK, the episode was on last night on BBC Two. Mm-hmm. I believe it's going to be on Netflix in America at the end of this month, maybe, or the beginning of next month. Yeah, I play um, a character that has a, a guest appearance in episode three. And yeah, it was it was really great. It's a really high profile show over here. And I even I'm getting word that, you know, a lot of my American friends know it and watch have watched it. It was really great. And the extra thing that was great about it was not only because obviously it's got a quite a big name cast, Killian Murphy and Tom Hardy. So I was geeking out <laughs> in terms of that because obviously it wasn't too long ago. I was watching one of them as the Scarecrow in Batman Begins and one of them as Bane in The Dark Knight yes, Rises. So, yes. so that was really cool. So that I ticked that off the list. And the additional thing was is that my scenes were filmed in liverpool in merseyside right down the road from where i grew up so it's kind of a bit of a homecoming for me so it's kind of on you know literally we were filming where my nan used to take me on a saturday you know when she used to look after me when my mum was at work she'd take me over i don't know whether you know how much but in liverpool there's like a there's like the river mersey and then there's a famous ferry that crosses mm-hmm. the river from birkenhead to liverpool which is actually where the titanic set sail from yeah. So there's a really like there's an iconic kind of shipbuilding history. And, you know, the docks used to be the the kind of the opening into the British Empire, really. So, it you know, back in the day, it was one of the biggest ports in the world. So there's a lot of history there. But, yeah, it was really it was really cool to, to film there, you know, to kind of represent my city, my home city, so to speak.
5: That's very cool. Now, you have an upcoming superhero series called The Few. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so this was what I think originally um, got us in touch. I have written a web series called The Few with a director called Sam Bradford. It's basically, it's going to be a six-episode mini web series, and it's the UK's first ever dramatic superhero story.
5: Now, Sam Bradford, he also directed Double Cross, didn't
1: he? Yeah, he did. So Sam Bradford directed Double Cross, which is the film that you mentioned a short movie a crime it's a crime caper movie about two on-off lovers who are on a job and they kind of get a bit complacent things get a bit hot and heavy and they wind up in a bit of trouble and they've got to get out um, so we made that last year and so this is the next project sam bradford and i are big big comic book guys big kind of superhero movie guys and it was actually we just come out of batman v superman uh-huh. and we were like and we were like you know what like we, let's just stop delaying it. Like I want to be in a, I want to, I want to be in a movie like this. He wants to direct the movie like this, you know, and we want to create a bit of a superhero universe and see how that would work in the UK. So yeah, that's how that came about. And then the other thing that came with that was that, and something that I tried to do with all my writing is we kind of pro we kind of promised ourselves that we weren't going to a write, loads of basically just have loads of white men just with you know do you uh-huh. know what i mean like lead leading the charge with loads of kind of you know white men and spandex problems <laughs> and so we kind of we when when i when i when we set out to write it we kind of we targeted to have at least half the characters female mm-hmm. and at least half the characters be people of color just to kind of make it represent modern uk you know if mm-hmm. anything because it's just it's just not happening enough it's not going to be part of the story you know race isn't going to be part of the story it's going to be a story in itself you know which which we think will represent modern london modern uk
5: well you know that's the beauty of diversity it doesn't have to be a part of the story if everybody's represented
1: exactly exactly and i think the more i I think that's the i think that is the way to go yeah there's a lot it's a bit of a political hot potato over in the uk at the moment i don't know how how i mean obviously we've got the you know oscars so white and things like that Mm -hmm. but over here. A lot of people actually kind of use the US as an example. You guys in the TV world, a lot of people over here are like, oh, they do it better than us. They've got a quota system. They always make sure, you know, there's different communities represented. Um, So there's a a feeling that we're a bit behind over here in the UK. And there's a lot of shows that are just like period dramas and just full Mm -hmm. of... Very well spoken, privileged white people, you know, chatting away. So, yeah, it's, and I think that is the future because there's a lot of, there's a danger of like tokenism where people, you know, the kind of powers that be and commissioners and producers kind of go, oh, oh, well, we need to, we need to tell some black stories. So let's get this, let's get this black writer in and they can tell a story that's, that's black in inverted commas, you know, and then that's that, that's their perception of that. And then it just means that, you know, younger generations growing up, whenever they see people, of color it, it's part of the plot mm-hmm. which i think is quite is quite dangerous because it, it it often can have a reverse effect it just makes people think oh yeah you know that's an issue even though there is a place for those stories i think it's important that that actually just stories are being told and people are, you know just happen to be of a certain heritage because that is i mean that is the modern western world isn't it you know Absolutely. we've all got you know we've all got different heritage and very often we are you know in the same way that uh, you know i speak to a lot of East Asian actors, for example, and they basically like all they get offered in the UK is literally like Chinese characters who have a Chinese accent and, you know, are a scientist or, or, you know, something like that. And a lot of them are just like, you know, can't I just play someone British? (laughs) Because that's what (laughs) because that's what I am. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I talk like. So, yeah, so that's, you know, I try and do that with everything, uh, you know, that I that I write. I've, I've actually got another, I've got a feature film that my, me and my agent are currently kind of packaging to speak to some actors about. It's called Soul Cabby. It's a romantic drama feature film and it's a cross Atlantic romance between an, an aging white Liverpudlian cab driver and uh, an African American businesswoman. So, and I think that's, I'm really excited about that. I think that's, that's something that will, you know, it's a story that will kind of, nudge people to make more stories like that.
5: That's amazing. I always find it interesting to hear that the U.S. is used as an example in so many parts of the world where here, you know, the hot topic right now is the whitewashing of films and stories that have been, you know, traditionally in print or on the screen have been diverse characters that are now being played by all white people. That's the hot button topic you know, issue here, racism has always been an issue in the US. And we address that frequently on here. But I think that's really amazing that we have an opportunity to see things from a different perspective. You always think that you are, you know, your situation is the situation that's the most dire or that's the the worst off when you have people Mm -hmm. across the pond who are looking at us as an example of diversity of all things.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, just to give you an example, the other thing that I think the UK industry is battling with at the moment is class. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know how, you know, I don't know how much you kind of, that comes into play over in or or kind of what the, whether there are kind of different, you know, classifications in inverted commas. Obviously, we've got, you know, England, the UK has a tradition, you know, stemming from, you know, centuries ago where it was, you know, you had God, you had the king, and then you had, the upper class and everyone had their place and I think there is a feeling as well that working class in inverted commas actors and people in the entertainment industry are actually kind of being not being ignored but they're kind of falling by the wayside because of the amount of money you need to to educate yourself to get into the entertainment industry and and as well as that you know the shows like Downton Abbey for example tend to the tends to be a bit of kind of there's kind of a worry that a lot of that, and if you look at a lot of the big British actors at the moment, you know, the likes of Benedict Cumberbatch, mm-hmm. Damian Lewis, Tom Hiddleston, Dominic West, they all were kind of privately educated in really, exp- you know, feet, uh, I'm pretty sure they all went to like a really, I think it was Eton, which is basically like um, a private school which is really partial and you, you know your parents have got to have tens of thousands of pounds to pay for your education and, and that's before you even go to university so there's, there's a worry about that dominance so that's something that i'm very kind of passionate to to kind of equalize tell stories that are about real people and are inclusive and you know more about the real world and so we have that as well as the race thing I don't know I don't know how much that comes into play in the US and the other thing as well, just from a UK perspective, very often when I've auditioned for American projects as an actor, is an interesting thing as well because very often like accent has a big factor. Yes. In the UK. So for example, I mean my my accent's quite subtle to many people, but you know, I'm uh, if you know, my kind of mother tongue would you know, if I started talking like that, that'd be me kind of natural accent like that. If I was to go, you know, really Liverpool and over here, that would kind of be seen as a very working class accent and therefore working class roles. So you'd be playing the kind of the construction workers uh-huh. and the drug dealers and the people on the, uh, the, the council estate kind of living on benefits, welfare, that kind of right. thing. So whereas in the US, when I audition, I put on an American accent and they don't care where I'm from, you know, I can be a doctor, I can be a lawyer, I can be whatever, a rally car driver, a, a plumber, or what, it doesn't matter, like, it, it seems to be a kind of, there's less of that kind of class thing when, when it comes to, you know, once you get that American accent, it seems to be a bit more of a of an equal thing, I don't know what what your reaction to that would be as an American, or whether that is a similar perception, or
5: it's really interesting because here in America, we have regional dialects. You know, you have the northern accents, the southern accents, but then you have colloquialisms and dialects that are very localized. And there's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ebonics, but that's what they claim yeah, yeah. What black speak is, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Or if you have a person of color, it is, you know, know—an Asian, is usually relegated to some far-off broken English, horrible broken English, you have Spanglish and you have someone from South Asia would have a very difficult to understand, but very specific kind of accent. And it it can be really offensive in the States, Mm -hmm. but to come to the States, what's your best American accent do you think?
1: I mean, over here, this kind of they regard when they kind of ask if, they, if they're going to audition, they ask for what they call general American. Uh-huh. I don't know whether you you agree that that exists. The kind of I'd say there was probably two main kind of I suppose there's three American accents. They'd probably ask you to do general American in, uh-huh. in inverted commas, kind of a East Coast New York uh-huh. kind of vibe, or a, a Southern kind of Texas kind of vibe they, they'd be the three yeah kind of re, you know southern <laughs> southern bell kind yeah. of that kind of thing so um so yeah they'd be the kind of the main the main ones that they'd ask for <laughs>
5: <laughs> sam tell us where we can find you online
1: you can find me online uh, on twitter at sam benjamin now so sam benjamin and then n-o-w after mm-hmm. that and I'm, I'm that so sam benjamin now on instagram and on twitter uh, you can find me. I've got a fan page on Facebook. Yeah, You can search around on YouTube as well. They'd be my main channels.
5: Okay, great. And happy belated birthday to you once again.
1: <laughs> thank you so much. That's
5: amazing. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Girl Nerds podcast.
1: Thanks for getting me on. In our
0: final segment, we talk about all things related to wrestling, wrestlers of the past, present, and where the wrestling foundation is going in the future with respect to diversity and seeing more women behind the ring and more black women behind the ring. So I had this really great discussion with Anique and Kristen about our favorite wrestlers of all time, some wrestlers that we've crushed on throughout the years, and also wrestlers who have passed on and just want to commemorate and honor their memory by sort of reminiscing about what we loved most about them. And if you're a wrestling fan, stay tuned. You're really going to love this segment. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. I am here talking with two great ladies about a topic that we haven't really covered here on the podcast. And by demand, some feedback to us that we should chat about wrestling. So we're going to be talking about all things related to wrestling wrestlers of the past wrestlers currently and also wrestlers who have recently passed on and we just want to honor them and talk about their career so i am here with kristen and anique and thank you ladies for for coming on the show thank, thank you for having me, me. <laughs> let's start with the first question which is when did you get started in wrestling when did you first dive into this really cool subculture of wrestling and and what was it about it that piqued your interest
4: I've been watching probably since I can remember maybe five years old I've been watching It kind of teetered off a little bit when I got a little bit older but now that my son is really into it it you know I got back into it and I haven't stopped I
3: have to um, pretty much marry unique. My brother, I have two older brothers, and um, my one brother, my middle brother, was really, really into it. So when I was, that's all I remember growing up was was watching it and and getting into it. And and that was when it basically was like Saturdays, you know,
4: Mm -hmm. (laughs) finished. I would,
3: you know, we'd flip over to whatever local station had it and... This is before USA really took over the WWE and stuff like that. So I remember I fell off probably around high school, but not to the point where I, I mean, I can at least, I know who the various people are. Like I paid attention when Rock came back and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, for me, it was just growing up as a tomboy. I was into a lot of things that the boys were into. I was collecting baseball cards and basketball cards and comic books and playing video games. and my younger brother and I, we loved watching wrestling. and as you mentioned Anique, watching it on Saturdays, you know at home. and yeah, that that's what really got me interested in it. And I just loved the personality of these wrestlers. They always had these really great personalities, these flashy clothes, the cool music that they would strut out to and they'd get out to the to the stage. And I remember the WrestleMania game that really got me interested in um, wrestling was the WrestleMania game on NES, featuring guys like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and such. The game, coupled with watching it on Saturdays with my brother, was really where um, my interest really got hooked. I think it was like back probably late eighties, early nineties is really where I got hooked in. I remember that. It was awesome. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. I was always Andre the Giant on that game. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't he have, like, some kind of bat or, like, he had some sort of object that he would hit the other wrestlers with, but it always looked like a big stake to me. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics was not that good. Right. Granted, you know, it's NES 8-bit graphics back then, yeah. but... He was the one that I always chose when when you had to select your wrestler.
3: Do you guys remember? Um, and probably this is when I'm really showing sure my age. Um, do you guys remember when there was that cartoon on Saturday mornings? Was like Hulk Hogan and friends, and it was like yes. <laughs>
4: I don't remember that. Uh-oh,
3: I do.
0: Junkyard <laughs> Dog was my boy. I love <laughs> me some <Judge laughs> Dog. I, <laughs> I do remember that. And then remember when Hulk Hogan. Spawned off and did a movie career, and he did that movie No Holds Barred. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) He did a few other films as well, but he was like the breakout star of, at that time, it was the WWF. So, and then Randy Savage had done like, you know, the Slim Jim commercials that most of us remember. And I remember really loving Elizabeth. Because she was just like the only girl, really, at that time. There weren't any female wrestlers, but she would always wear these beautiful dresses with sequins and her hair was really big. And Mm -hmm. I just was like, oh, she's the girl. I like her. And she was also in the video game, as I could recall. So I was a big fan of Elizabeth. There was do you guys remember there was like and I don't remember the name of it, but there was a program that featured just women wrestlers
3: yes but that that was what about 10 15 years ago that
4: program what's it called i think it was glow girls oh okay something yeah. like that i remember because they used to come on really late at night and yes. I was really young but i remember i think it was the glow girls
0: i remember watching bits and pieces of that and just thinking yeah. how awesome it is to see two women going at it in the ring like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> remember when cindy
3: lopper was a manager though no, are know, you serious? <laughs> what? Oh, who was she? I had to think about because it was Lou Alfredo Albano. Albano, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I know I'm I'm gonna get hit of by some friends when they hear this, and I messed up his name. <laughs> but Lou, yes, Lou, yes, she was hanging out with him. So she actually would show up to all the big like WrestleManias and stuff like that, or any of like the big things. She would she would help out with any of the managing
4: aspects.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I remember
4: as you're saying it, I'm looking it up online and you're right. It was Lou albino. Yep.
0: Yep. <laughs> I, I just remember him from being in all her videos. He was like in the girls uh, who just want to have fun video. And yeah. it was also in the Goonies video. Yeah.
3: Um, <laughs> so he was like he an all his, f- his, what do you call it? Um, the rubber bands. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they had a great partnership, those two. Captain Lou, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gosh. And I
3: also had Garbage Pail Kids cards.
0: Yep, like, me too.
3: I, I had the Mean Jean Green.
0: That was my boy. The oh, yeah. There. Didn't they have, like, wrestling cards, too, by, like, Fleet and, like, Tops? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I never collected them, but I remember seeing them in the store when I would pick up my comic book cards or my basketball, baseball cards. So I gotta be like superficial because that's what I do. <laughs> was there a wrestler that you found really hot that you just loved, had a crush on?
4: <laughs> Back then, I think I'm a little ashamed to say it was Razor Ramon. It was just his, his corny accent and his greasy hair. I don't know what it was, but I just thought he was so hot. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm ashamed to say it. Raising your okay. mom was pretty you good. Own it, own it. I
0: just- that mullet, girl, that mullet. <laughs> and,
3: and you, have to, and you have to admit, though, that was back in the day. You're going with, Exactly. You know, that is you know, true. He that- didn't come out in 2015, and you were like, woo, that... that you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't think I had necessarily a crush on any of them. It was just, or because of the way that they looked, it was just their craziness that I, I thought was awesome.
0: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, their, their flair. Yeah. Yeah,
3: like here's, so my brother and his wife, they were living in Rhode Island in Providence. They were, uh, his wife actually was working at the convention center and the wrestling would come through there. The animal,
4: was that his name?
3: The animal feel. Oh, yeah. Yes. I think it, the, the real hairy one that was kind of yeah. like, they kind of errr. Yeah. <laughs> he actually, I mean, so these wrestlers, they would see them like off the, you know, when they weren't performing. And they were just normal people. And, and I remember her telling a story about, you know, he came in to the restaurant in the hotel that she was, you know, that she happened to be at. And just what a nice guy he was. Just a normal guy. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like all, like all crazy and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. and uh, he was actually a really fun person to be around, which That's I thought was cool. Because mean, we, we see them, you mm-hmm. know, as that they're supposed to be like that all the time. But yeah,
4: yeah. I always hate to hear if somebody meets a celebrity and they turn out to be a jerk, you know? Yeah. Because if you were totally in love with them, then you hear something like that, and it's hard to be a fan anymore. Yeah, yep.
3: oh yeah, that's why I think the the Hulk Hogan situation from a couple of years ago like crushed all of us. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah,
0: big yeah. time, big yeah. time. I was never a huge fan of Hulk Hogan. I, I always thought he was just like overrated, even back you know in his heyday. But yeah, still it was disappointing when yeah. Hulk Hogan, you know. Yeah. So my crushes were I had a few. <laughs> Do you guys remember Flying Brian? No. No. Oh, goodness. Well, he was in the, it was a WCW, I think, at the time. And I remember getting issues of Teen Beat magazine. <laughs> and because back then with those kind of magazines, not only did they have movie stars, but they also had the wrestlers in there.
4: Mm-hmm. So
0: I had pictures of him, posters of him actually plastered all over my walls in my bedroom I also had a huge crush on Sting, love Sting. Oh my God, Sting you could know, do no I'm wrong.
4: I to wrap my mind around that Sting. I'm I'm thinking of present day Sting, which I'm sure doesn't look anything like old school Sting because now I'm having a hard time with that. No yeah, Sting hasn't right
0: aged well at all. Yeah. But if you look up 1980s Sting, just do a <laughs> Google image of him. He was hot. He was so hot. And then, do you remember ravishing Rick Rude? Yeah, yes. and he would do that dance and swing his abs back and forth. I was like, "Ah, child." <laughs> so yeah, I mean, he obviously like the sex appeal thing was his his shtick.
4: Yeah, and
0: I I played right into that. So I <laughs> I really loved ravishing Rick Rude as well. <laughs>
3: I will be honest there is none that like I said that that got my attention that way but I love the junkyard dog and Randy Savage that was my boy
0: yeah is. yeah he was <laughs> I loved him and you're right like he he had the big personality he had the really colorful clothes and the feather boas and you know he was he was definitely out there in, in the shades of course mm-hmm. so I, I loved him as well I loved his voice yes have <laughs> do a slim Jim. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> my mom she really liked Dusty Rhodes yes <laughs> Do you remember him? I feel like he was definitely a good wrestler for the older crowd I mean first of all Dusty Rhodes for those listening that may not be familiar with him he's not cute at all he's like this big heavy set guy with blonde hair but my mom really liked him because he just had a really great personality yeah. and then um, the sister that he would always walk out there with I liked her I don't remember her name. Dusty Rhodes was a fun wrestler to watch.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Or like Ric Flair. He was fun. Oh, I love Ric Flair. My mom loved him too. Yeah.
4: <laughs> he is a mess. He still comes out now with his daughter, Charlotte, who is now um, a wrestler on WWE. Oh. I am shocked.
0: I, I hate to say this, but I am so shocked that Ric Flair is still alive like wow. <laughs> i'm just saying that because rick flair has been around forever yeah. like he was wrestling like when i first started getting into wrestling my mom knew who rick flair was like he <laughs> <laughs> he is that um he's been around for that long so yeah. it's and a lot of these wrestlers i hate to say it but they have very short shelf lives absolutely like, more than half of the wrestlers that i remember growing up are all gone now so the fact that rick flair is still around that's That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. What are your thoughts about wrestling as it is today? I know we're talking about a lot of what's happening, or what happened, rather, back in its heyday. But do you think that diversity in wrestling has changed over the years? Has it gotten better, or is it still the same? What are your thoughts about that? It goes through
4: stages, it seems like. Back in the day, now that I look back on it, it seems that there was kind of a a stage where they kind of made the wrestlers these stereotypes, like Coco Beware, you know, really dark skin coming out with these loud colors and iron sheet. Like it seemed like it was really in to have like these kind of stereotypes you know, have the crowd kind of boo anybody from certain countries and cheer people that came out rooting USA. And then I kind of went through the Attitude Era stage where anything went like there was cussing and almost close to nudity. And it was almost like they were just trying to really push the envelope during that time. Whereas now it's really more family friendly, I think more so than it's ever been. So it just kind of it has evolved and gone through different stages over the years yeah I have to agree because I
3: I was thinking when Jamie when you were talking you just answered it perfectly I mean you know I grew up in that time where the Iron Sheik and all that stuff and and thankfully I mean that real bad stereotypes are gone I think I mean I'm talking as someone who's you know uh, godchildren happen to watch it or you know if I'm at the, the gym and it's on, I'll, you know, and I'm kind of stuck on the treadmill. I'm like, I guess I'm watching this for the next 20 minutes, but <laughs> I've noticed that. Yeah. Cause there was, a, there was a point. I remember a couple of years ago that I turned it on. I was like, whoa, like this is, you guys are really pushing the envelope. <laughs> I could not, I would not see necessarily my parents allowing me to watch it if I was like, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. Yeah. Like did with some of the stuff that was that was going on, especially with the women wrestlers and just how they were portraying them. Mm-hmm. i said it has gotten better from what I've seen.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I haven't watched anything current. Um, most of my wrestling knowledge stems from the 80s and the 90s. From what I've noticed here and there, from people on social media talking about it to even Aniki writing posts on Black Girl Nerds, is mm-hmm. I've noticed that there are more Black women wrestlers now than it was when I was watching it. it. It was a white guys' club. There weren't that many men of color. I remember there were a few like Tito Tito Santana, which I named. <laughs> I named my cat after Tito Santana, by the way, guys, just letting y'all know. <laughs> my very first cat, Tito, was named after him. But there there just really wasn't a whole lot of them. So to see black women out there wrestling and representing is awesome. And I wish I could have seen a lot more of that growing up. I'd probably be a bigger wrestling fan now than I was, um, you know, back then having seen those images. So it, it seems yeah. like it's definitely getting better, though.
4: Definitely.
0: So what are your thoughts about diva wrestling and and women repping the stage as as wrestlers? It's definitely gotten better. I mean, like you said,
4: back in the day, it was almost non-existent. There were maybe four or five women wrestlers on a good day. And now they have like a a whole section for the women wrestlers even recently they've changed it from the divas division to back to the women's division, which I think is a step in the right direction because I just think the title of divas was stupid. You know, they're not divas. They're not singers. They're wrestlers. They're professional wrestlers, just like the men. So I definitely think it's a step in the right direction. I think social media had a lot to do with that change because Vince McMahon heard, the fans saying, look, we want the women's division to be taken more seriously. And it it appears that that's what they're trying to do now. So I think this is the greatest time for the women's division in WWE
0: right now. That's awesome. So has social media really been rallying for, like, do you see a lot of folks on social media talking about wrestling more now than you know, a few years ago, I I noticed that it, some hashtags tend to trend and Mm -hmm. every now and then when there's a wrestling event that happens, everybody on my timeline is talking about it. Do you think social media has popularized wrestling at all?
4: Specifically there was a hashtag give divas a chance maybe last year and that hashtag started trending specifically because there was a match between two female wrestlers and the match was literally over in three minutes. And after that, I think is when the fans were really like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like they, they actually started getting into watching the women wrestle. Like it's, it became legitimate. It became serious. And it's almost like they used it as an opportunity for a bathroom break. Like the match was over so quickly and people were really angry about it. And so they took to Twitter used the hashtag, give divas a chance, basically were telling Vince how unhappy they were with the way the women's division was being treated. And he heard it. There were so many people using that hashtag and and sending him messages to his Twitter, letting them know that, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. And he heard, and he actually went on Twitter and said, you know, I hear you and expect some changes soon. And it seems that shortly after that, there have been some changes to the women's division.
3: I also think just in just with social media in general, everything is getting lifted up. Because if you think about it a couple of years ago, you know, there's other stuff that has happened. I mean, it just I just I'm just thinking like on music and with bands and stuff like that. I mean, I don't I honestly don't see. Many folks were, say, on Twitter as much as they are on now, and they're using that to get the point across. So mm-hmm. I think we're seeing more because there's, there's more options and people are getting more creative about starting to get hashtags out there and trending and getting their
0: point across. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So can you recall any favorite moments in wrestling for you? Wow. <laughs> I know. For me, I I mean, it, it, that's a hard question, too, because, you know, there's, there's not anything that really sticks out. But, you know, I, I just loved seeing various wrestlers use their own gimmicks, you know, to really get the crowd going. So I remember Jake the Snake Roberts, and he'd have the big old bow constrictor around his neck and also... Hacksaw Jim Duggan with the four by four, and then also, what was the name of those guys? The Bushwick Boys, yeah, <laughs> the Bushwhackers, yes, yeah. <laughs> the Bushwick Boys, the Bushwhackers, and they would lick their heads. I was just like, What are you doing, dudes? <laughs> just those little moments where they would find really creative ways to get the crowd amped up was some of the favorite things that I, I remember growing up in wrestling. I saw it live a couple times
3: and, and unfortunately the names are going out of my head because it, it was such a long time ago, but I, I do remember seeing Hulk Hogan at the Boston garden is when it was the garden. And it was literally the, that the house just came down and there were two brothers that were, it wasn't the Bushwick boys. It was somebody, there were two other brothers that were wrestling. I remember at one point during that thing, because it was like a, Two, three. The Hart brothers. Yes, yes. I had such a good time. It was I was I think I was in middle school or early high school, and it was I went with my brother and two family friends, and we had we had a blast. But seeing Hulk Hogan live was like the greatest thing ever. It for me at that time.
0: Yeah. So, like I had mentioned before, a lot of wrestlers tend to have very short shelf lives many have passed on and recently China who I do remember China. I I was watching wrestling up until like the early two thousands. So I remember China, triple H and stone cold, Steve Austin and the rock undertaker and those guys and China definitely resonated with me because she was one of the best female wrestlers I noticed. And she recently passed on. So what, what were your thoughts when you heard that she had passed? And were there any other wrestlers that, that you remember that have now moved on?
4: You know, I'm sad to say I really wasn't surprised when I heard that she passed. It was still very sad, but she had publicly battled drugs and alcohol for a very long time. I remember one season she was on uh, Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew. And it was just really sad to watch her on there because when she first got to the uh rehab facility she was she was really messed up. It was clear that she had a problem and she's been battling for a lot of years, so I, I really wasn't too surprised to hear about it, but it was very, very sad. You know, there there have been so many wrestlers that sometimes i'll just google them just to see what they're up to and then you see that they're dead and it's just so disappointing mr perfect eddie guerrero yeah we were talking about miss elizabeth she's passed away as well chris benoit british bulldog umaga sherry Martel. she was a female wrestler back in the day yeah i remember her ravishing rick root
0: yeah I i did not know that until recently it's so so many of them. It's really sad. Yeah,
3: for me was uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was also a recent passing. That was yeah, it was a hard one. Yeah. That
3: one in Macho Man. That those two were. I was like, oh, you're yeah. kidding
0: me. <laughs> like, yeah.
3: Because yeah. I remember you know watching because when Piper had was it Piper's nest or his his little side show that they so, would, yeah at yeah, the, the talk show and it was like when it was on if you were in the kitchen these were the pre-tivo days you dropped everything and <laughs> and over the tv to to see what insanity he was gonna you know unleash
4: yeah
3: so and and i loved randy savage i mean he was another one i mean who was just so out there and i mean even to this day my my brother uh he will just all of a sudden, go into Randy Savage mode and start <laughs> doing lines. Like if we're if we're all out, you know, um, or even during the holidays, just to get me started, he'll you know he'll respond with a Macho Man line. I'll just like, oh, really, we're gonna do this. <laughs> it was sad. I mean, because with him, he I mean he died because of a heart attack. Yeah. I mean that just that completely blew my mind, you know that you could have lived, but unfortunately you were driving and you hit a tree, and that, yeah. that that's kind of sad. Yeah. yeah, and it was young ages. I mean, you're talking these are folks who are like in their fifties and sixties. This is, yeah. Young, you
0: know. yeah. You had went down a long list, and just to add to that list. I remember Bam Bam Bigelow. He was mm-hmm. also in the WWF WrestleMania game. Yes, that's uh,
4: why I, I <laughs> always played as Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam
0: Bigelow, yeah. I loved him. Earthquake was another one that passed. Ultimate Warrior, remember him? Dusty Rhodes, who I mentioned that my mom and I, we really loved. And there's just like so, so many. So
3: Andre it, the Giant.
0: Andre the Giant. And there's actually going to be a movie about his life that was based on a book that was written by actually former BGM podcast guest, Brandon Easton. Okay. So uh, they're doing a film adaptation of his book about the life of Andre the Giant. So that's going to be coming out pretty soon. Mm. So, yeah, I, I loved Andre the Giant. It was great to see these wrestlers, too, get out of their element as wrestlers and move on to, like, the big screen, because we all remember Andre the Giant appearing in The Princess Bride. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, also Roddy Piper, he was in They Live, which is, like, one of my favorite sci-fi thrillers of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was really cool seeing them move on as actors. It's going to be interesting to see who actually plays him, because when I, when I saw that
3: article, I was like, who do we have that... <laughs> can live, like, just, that's a, I mean, and not trying to be corny, but those are some big shoes that you're going to have to fill.
0: Big time, yeah. I mean, it would have to be an unknown, because I can't think of any
4: actor that could play
0: Andre the Giant. Mm-mm. I can
4: see them giving the role to Big Show only because he's just as big as Oh, the Andre Big Show. Was. I remember him, yeah. Yeah, he still wrestles. I can see them giving it to him, maybe. I mean, I think he's had some bit roles in shows and movies, nothing too big, but I could definitely see um, him playing the role.
0: Yeah, I could see that as well. I forgot about the big show, Yeah. And, of course, oh, I, I mean, I'd be remiss to mention, like, the ultimate movie star that has branched off from wrestling and is now just, like, an A-lister, which is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, like, talk about someone who started off in this in this business and has made it a huge commodity for himself on the big screen. So it's it's awesome to see how he's evolved over the years i i just remember because i was dating this guy at the time and he was a big wrestling fan so that's how i kind of got back into it in the early 2000s he loved the rock i was just like who is this guy (laughs) what is he doing with his eyebrow (laughs) 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 Like, what's going on here and i i fell for for the rock as well so it was it was awesome you you can't help but not to i
4: mean yeah (laughs) Yeah, he's he's very charismatic. He definitely has a
0: presence on the screen. Yep, absolutely. Well, great. Any final thoughts on wrestling today, yesterday, where you think it's going? Like I said before, I'm just really happy to see
4: women having more of a presence, especially African-American women having more of a presence. In wrestling, especially WWE, which has historically been kind of oppressive of women, so I'm just really happy to see where it is now and where it's going to go. And now talking to you guys,
3: I'm actually going to start looking at more wrestling stuff because this is bringing some good memories back.
4: <laughs> um,
3: and the fact that you know, like you said, there there is more more women involved, more you know, and for me too, just the less cringing aspect of what it was I would say in the early 2000s you know they've calmed down it's never going to go away I mean I I remember my mother could tell me stories about wrestling back in like the 40s and 50s so I mean yes it's it's here to stay I mean you can't hopefully you know it'll just keep evolving and and as long as people are having fun I can't I can't hate them
0: I agree completely and is Vince McMahon still like the owner of Of the Wrestling Foundation? Yeah. He is? Okay. He'll never let that go. (laughs) He'll never let that go. (laughs) He's another one that's been around forever. I hope to see more people of color behind the scenes and owning franchises, because I think that that's also where a lot of diversity and and change will happen as well. Mm -hmm. But it's exciting that wrestling is still something that's just as popular now as it was when I was watching it as a kid. I'm glad that it's evolved and more women are getting involved and more women of color. And hopefully that that's something that will continue. And then also seeing more executives, you know, running the damn thing, uh, because, you know, that makes a huge difference as well. Excellent. So before we go, just want to give you guys the opportunity to plug your social media networks, where we can find you on the web. And if there's any projects that you're working on, feel free to shout it out. Start with Anique and then Kristen. I'm
4: on Facebook, Anique Toussaint, T-O-U-S-S-A-I-N-T. And in general, I hate social media, so that is the only place you can find me. (laughs) (laughs) That's smart.
3: (laughs) The best place to find me is Twitter. uh, It's at Mia the Pug. Obviously, my name is not Mia. That's literally the real pug who I'm surprised has not started barking in the background. (laughs) And um, (laughs) if anyone especially is interested in what kinds of music and what's going on, especially in D.C., I'm usually heading out someplace to a concert somewhere at least once or twice a week. So I'm always down to to uh, hang out with folks and to meet folks at the at the random places.
0: Excellent. And you can find me at Black Girl Nerds on Twitter. And also my personal is at Jamie Broadnax on Twitter and check out blackgirlnerds.com Anik is a contributing writer and does a lot of editorials about wrestling so if you're a wrestling fan you can check out some of the stuff on there and thank you so much Kristen and this was a great show I, I enjoyed reminiscing and uh, <laughs> basking in the nostalgia of uh, wrestling from back in the 80s and 90s and also learning a lot of stuff of what's happening today so thank you ladies for coming on
5: oh, thank, thank you, you.